1: Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Damer NBA podcast and damn it we're gonna do a Ben Simmons fake trade podcast <laughs> because that's what we do here. Um, Jack if I'm being honest don't really feel like doing this today. Um, I don't know I'm just just tired um, but not just for people listening but I think for me too. Uh, Basketball is a good escape and 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 talking about is it to, is you know is is good for both of us too. So we're gonna do that. Um, we all love good basketball. We love putting on our fake GM hats. And um, Ben Simmons lets us do that. He's a really good damn a damn good basketball player. And Daryl Morey is a real GM. Um, so we can we can make this happen. Uh, there's obviously the Gerson Rosas connection. We'll get into all that. I want to talk about Ben Simmons with you, and I know you um, are as apt to be able to do that as anyone. You wrote a big old piece for for Canis Hoopus on um, on Simmons and and what his trade value might be. So um, so yeah, what is why is it reasonable to have a Ben Simmons getting traded to Minnesota conversation? This is Jack Borman.
2: So a, a big reason why I think it's, you know, a feasible conversation to have is just, I think you look at, you look at the sample size that we've had of Simmons and Embiid and, and you see the way that the two like to play when they're on the court and when, you know, one's on and one's off and they actively hold each other back. In my opinion, I think that, that Simmons obviously wants to play, wants to play much faster. So the, so the biggest metric that, that I've found from that is that when Simmons is on the floor, the team's number of transition possessions goes way up, sure. and when Embiid's just on the floor, that number goes down. So essentially, the Sixers play more half-court basketball when um, when the two share the floor together, um, and they're less efficient, obviously, in the half-court. And so when you, when you start thinking about that, you know, I, I think those two together obviously have a very high floor because they've been a consistent playoff team as a duo. Um, but but I definitely think that when you remove one of them from the equation. Um, I, and you kind of build a team that, that complements that, that one player that you keep much better, uh, I, I think the ceiling just is much, much higher than what it could be with the two of them paired together. Let, let
1: me cut you off right there um, because I think all of that logic for sure lines up when if we were to say Brett Brown is still the head coach and it's the same old Philly regime, Um, but I think if you are looking at this from the Philly side, if you're looking at this from Daryl Morey's perspective – you're going, well, yeah. Just because that's what it was doesn't mean that's what it will be. We are going to play different. We are going and you're gonna to want to try and make a roster work. together. Exactly. Like, and if, even beyond just make it work. I feel like that's kind of like this cop out thing. Like we're gonna try. Like they they can do specific things differently. They can be coached differently. They can they can play differently. They can put together a different type of roster around Joel and Ben. They could. And I mean that on some levels is as simple as having like one coherent plan or how about just having some better shooters around them or players who fit them better. Like we haven't, we haven't truly seen that in Philadelphia either. That said, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong there. And I think that's a fair opinion and one that many people would share, but I push back on that a little bit because this isn't just as it isn't with Devin Booker. This isn't like a situation where, Ben Simmons is obviously on the block, and he should be. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, this is – this conversation happens because there are multiple steps that if you put together make sense for Philadelphia or could make sense for Philadelphia. I don't think just on its face it's – painfully obvious that they need to make a change
2: right and I was looking at it strictly from more of kind of like a general view that wasn't kind of aimed more at Philly or aimed more at Minnesota um, trying to look at it from just kind of a neutral perspective um, but I mean I definitely think that Philly could play different I mean you know you could you could argue that they could have better shooters in there but I mean they were eighth in the league this past season in, in three-point percentage at, at just under at just under how 37%. many did they shoot percent I mean they shot you know uh they shot what 31 threes a game which was you know i think 22nd in the 20? nba last year yeah. so i mean they need to they'd obviously need to shoot more but i mean
1: and it's not know, as simple i mean we both know right. it's not as simple as that right it's not just like and it's, more threes
2: yeah but it, and i mean it's it's very fair to say that i mean they really only had maybe two competent shooters last year in cork maz and uh and shake milton um, and then the rest of the guys just kind of would show up some nights and just would be complete duds on the other nights. Um, and especially considering that, that nobody in the NBA is better at creating open three-point attempts for teammates and, and assisting on, on three-pointers than, than Ben Simmons is. So, so the argument that you, know, you can play differently, you can get more shooters in there and see what happens then, I think is an extremely vi- viable one um, from Philadelphia's perspective and is exactly what I expect to happen uh, expect to happen, uh, in Philadelphia, you know, at least until correct, at least until maybe the trade deadline. And then the the other thing too, that I think about is like, you think about doc rivers, doc has always prioritized having shooting specialists on his team that he can, you know, run the include heavily in the offense. Um, and he didn't necessarily have, you know, that coming into Philadelphia. And I think, you know, when you combine doc with, um, with just kind of the the Morey ball that that Daryl's going to bring, um, in terms of prioritizing spacing and three point shooting. Uh... Well, hold
1: on, uh, we don't. I mean, we don't know that that's what it's going to be. Mori ball.
2: Okay, is, at least
1: at least is about high percentage shots. What I high... what I
2: what I meant by that, yeah. or I should say, was increasing, you know, their efficiency from from three in terms of trying increasing to acquire their better efficiency
1: shooters. as a team overall and I think with Joel for example and this is what Maury said in the press conference is if I had Shaq I would give Shaq the ball 100 100 times times. yeah you know and like there there's there's a pretty strong statistical argument to be made that Joel Embiid in the post is a very dominant points per possession analytical thing and now yes it's important to have shooting around him yada 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 they just need to they need to play more effectively. That's been the right. problem in Philly for, for you know, since Joel and Ben have been there. And not just, in part because of them, but not just because of them. But I don't even want to get all the way into Philly yet, yet or, or idea of that. I just, if we are going to have a trade conversation, which is we're opening a door that probably isn't very big. But if we're going to do that, we've, we've kind of got to... We kind of got to lay this out, right? Like not just from Philly's perspective, from Minnesota's perspective. Like, what is it? What like, who are they trading for? Obviously, Ben like Ben Simmons. But what is Ben Simmons? How much does Ben Simmons cost? What then would you need to pay to acquire Ben Simmons? And at what threshold would Philadelphia accept that? And 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 in what sort of mechanics? So let's get through those things. But I think we got to work through those kind of one step at a time. And the first thing I think we need to start by acknowledging is Ben Simmons is a stud. He's 24 years old. He's been in the league for four years. He didn't play his first year as a rookie, but in those three years, he's been an all-star twice. He made the all-NBA third team this past season. He made the first team all-defense this year. And I mean, there's, (laughs) you're not going to like this podcast if you think he's bad because he can't shoot or something and don't think he's a stud because you and I are going to operate under the premise that Ben Simmons is a superstar in the making, in the NBA right here. He already so, is a superstar, in my opinion. I, <laughs> that's yeah, and I, I, I would Well, he made – I mean, he made the – he was last year, right? Like, he made all-NBA 13, 13. Yep. so you're a top 15 player inherently last year, right? Like. Yep. I don't know if that makes you a superstar. It makes you a star, for sure. Whatever those are <laughs> arbitrary. But the question we're trying to answer is, what is what is an absolute 24-year-old stud worth in a trade, right? Like, that. that's ultimately – the question and and for me we acknowledge that pedigree like it's obviously about that but then you fuse that together with what is his contract right and simmons signed a five-year max contract extension before last season and so it's set to begin this coming year which means there's five years left on his on his contract that contract will be worth 177 million dollars um it's or it's 25 or 28% of the, the salary cap that was negotiated into his deal because he made that all NBA team. He got more than the normal 25%, right? Cat cat, same, same contract, same salary cap, right? Yep. 158 million was cat's deal. Simmons would be 177 million. So if this happened and cats on the team, Ben Simmons comes in for context as a even higher paid player than Ben Simmons. He would, but then Carl Anthony towns, he would be, the highest played player on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Correct. So what is that worth? What is a 24-year-old stud on a five-year, $177 million contract worth in the NBA in 2020?
2: So, I mean, if you if you go back and you look at at least some of the precedent for an all-NBA player, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. we saw Paul George get traded, uh from from Oklahoma City to to the Clippers, right? And so mm-hmm. Oklahoma City uh, had a ton of leverage in that situation, as as did as did uh, New Orleans, really. Um, and the Anthony Davis, yep. correct. So the the difference here that I want to start out by saying is the Timberwolves, as it stands right now today, have zero leverage whatsoever with Ben Simmons because he hasn't requested a trade. There's no Concrete evidence that he has expressed any discontent and, and wants to leave, so I want to set that off right away. So that that hurts the Timberwolves as it stands. But in that, in the precedent that we saw in, in those two trades, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at three or four first round picks, um, which are likely to be bad first round picks, just because obviously your hope that if you're pairing a superstar player with another superstar player, which happened in both other scenarios, that you know that team is going to be in the playoffs. So, at the baseline, I think the Timberwolves it would be worth at least three or four
1: first round picks. Let me let me read off what the Paul George trade was first. Okay, let's 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 set that specific precedent. The 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 LA Clippers gave up three un, of their own unprotected first round picks in 2022, 2024, and twenty twenty six. In addition to that, they owned Miami's twenty twenty one pick unprotected. They put that in and they they own Miami's 2023 first round pick top 14 protected. So that's four unprotected first round picks plus an additional lottery protected first is what five firsts and then also two other pick swaps in there too. So five firsts that that's a serious amount of draft assets that were given up plus the Clippers. Gave up Shea Gildress Alexander,
2: who is just a first round pick. So you could say that that's another one,
1: and and I would say is more than that because right. you look at what his rookie season was, where he was the 11th overall pick, right? Mm-hmm. And over and he had overperformed, right? So when Shea was acquired uh, a year ago, he had three years and 13 million left on it, left on his rookie scale deal. So you're getting <laughs> a very very good man, player oh man, for very very cheap. Plus you're getting Danilo Gallinari who only ha- had an expiring $22.5 million contract, but a very a, a good player who was worth that amount of money. you know. So you're getting, they got two valuable roster assets that if they wanted to trade, like liquidate into picks, they could have caught more there too. And, and the Lakers deal for Anthony Davis was similar, right? They gave up the number four overall pick last year to the Pelicans. They gave up, um, their 2021 pick, top eight protected, and their 2024 pick, unprotected. So they gave up three firsts for him. I would say three good firsts. Well, we'll see what... Th- three firsts. <laughs> and then they also gave up Brandon Ingram, who was still on his rookie scale contract on, on his, you know, a, a legitimate piece. Lonzo Ball with two years left on his rookie deal, and Josh Hart with two years left on his rookie deal. So that's also... Two big piles of both draft assets and roster assets that those teams traded for players that I mean, we could say they're both better than Ben Simmons just for, you know, ranking players in the league. Obviously, Anthony Davis, Paul George, for sure, too, at the at the time. And I would I would say still. Um, but though what was traded for those players, if that is, in fact, a precedent, that is so much more than the Timberwolves could offer. In a trade, yep. And I think if Ben Simmons gets traded to the Timberwolves or to anywhere else, it's unfair to expect even ninety percent of that return to come back. Correct, I agree. But it's still, you know, you know that Daryl Morey is going to be like. Yo, Gerson, did you see what these, what Paul George was traded for, what Anthony Davis was traded for? Like, we got to start like getting into approaching that conversation, approaching that value, which obviously that, that won't, you know, nobody would oblige to that. I don't, I don't think for Ben Simmons. So the question becomes, what do the, what do the Timberwolves have to offer? And I gave you a little homework assignment before this to, well, to rank what the Timberwolves tradable assets are. Um, And we're keeping, at least initially in this part of the conversation, keeping Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell out of, of the conversation. But what are just, will you just read off what the, what the, the Timberwolves assets they have are before we rank them?
2: Yes. So the the assets that the Timberwolves have that we included here. So if we look at the draft assets, we had the number one overall pick in in this month's draft, number seventeen in this month's draft, the twenty twenty three unprotected first, the twenty twenty five unprotected first, a twenty twenty seven unprotected
1: first. But twenty twenty seven, we you and I thought that twenty twenty seven does not work.
2: 2027 does not work if it is in this draft. So this, this upcoming draft is technically part of the 2019 20 NBA calendar. And because of that um, there's a seven years rule where you can't trade a draft pick. That's at least seven years out. So once that draft is complete, free agency starts and the next league year starts the 2020 2021 season starts technically, then that 2027 pick comes into play. So it only come into play if the Timberwolves made a move for Simmons or, or whomever else, after the start of the, the draft, next, the, correct. After the draft, yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. So those. So what they have to offer in terms of, of first round picks are the number one and number seventeen in this draft, and then they can't trade twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two because twenty twenty one is already sent to Golden State. And twenty twenty is the backup. Yeah, and you you can't you can't do trade picks in back to back years. So twenty twenty three is the next most valuable pick. That the wolves could trade and the way you make that as valuable as possible is you don't put any sort of protections on it so that could happen 2025 you could do that too with no sort of protections we're not up to we're not even close to the clippers hall or the or the lakers hall with just that so then if you're the wolves you got to start thinking about what um what roster assets they do have and what do we have for those
2: so for roster assets um We have Jarrett Culver, uh, who's got three years and and just under $21 million remaining on his deal. Josh Kogi, who's got two for just under seven. Malik Beasley, who's a restricted free agent. His qualifying offer, if he chooses to accept that, is about $3.8 million uh, on a one-year deal. Uh, We have Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's also a restricted free agent. Uh, And then Jake Lehman, who's got two years and just under $8 million on his deal. And then Nas Reed, who's got three years and and $5 million left on his deal. And so for the sake of, you know, for the sake of the the conversation, you decided not to include, you know, guys like Vanderbilt um, or Noel or Spellman or Evans.
1: So, yeah. And I mean, I would say Jared Vanderbilt, I mean, it's like on the minimum is is a positive asset. But we're, we're trying to. Pick players probably have multiple years left on their contract at a good value. That would be more attractive to Philadelphia or somebody else um, if, if it's a multiple team trade. So I think when we're looking at that, again, to compare it to the shade, Gildress Alexander and Danilo Gallinari, the Wolves can't offer that those type of roster assets. They also can't offer Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart level assets. This is what they have to offer. Culver, Kogi. Beasley, who's a good player but is a free agent, so he only has marginal value in terms of a sign-and-trade. Same with Wancho, but even less. Um, And then Jake Lehman, who's got a couple years left as a role player. Nas Reed as a super cheap um, lottery ticket that feasibly some team would be somewhat interested in. So how, I mean, at some point we're going to ask the question of do you trade all of these things for ben simmons and like that that <laughs> would you put those what you put those all on the table but i think that would be very bold just in that it would be a ton and and, and hard i think it's it's worth just kind of going through as just a thought exercise i'm just kind of interested to talk to you about this how do we rate rank those timberwolves assets how did you get started there
2: okay so to get started um, I, I think you'll disagree with me here but I, so I went with the 2020 number one pick this year and so the reason
1: I, I agree with that okay like so the team.
2: reason why I went number one here is just because if the trade happens before the draft um, you, you still have the option you know that team would still have the option to then trade down with that number one pick and parlay it into more um, sure. so you can use it that way or you could draft a player on draft night essentially on behalf of Philly and then, you know, trade after trade after the draft. But anyway, so then, and then I'll just start with my top three. So then 2023 unprotected first was my number two. Um, the reason why I had that is that is likely to be the, uh, the first kind of draft that we're calling the double draft that will have both high school players and college players, assuming the one and done rule. Um, they opt out of that, which is the earliest they can is that the you know for the 2023 draft um and then number three i had was the 2025 unprotected i had that
1: that was my top three too okay i think so i think the timberwolves most valuable assets they have to trade outside of carl anthony towns are the number one pick here and putting no protections on their 2023 and 2025 picks which are the two are the two first that they have immediately available for them to trade and now we start talking about the number 17 pick and the roster assets they have. So I'm curious what you had for four.
2: So for four, I left the 2027 20, unprotected first in there um, just because, you know, if, if we're being honest with each other, I think the chances that a Simmons trade hap- happening is I think it's more likely after the draft in the season starts than before. At least that's my, my view. Sure. Um, so I had that in there just because, you know, Towns is looking at age 31, the chances that he's still in Minnesota are much slimmer, potentially, um, especially if any other, you know, the Timberwolves start playing poorly again and start losing and he wants that whatever. So then after after that, get it, I had my first player off the board at five. Um, so I had Malik Beasley at five. Um, and I struggled. I went back and forth, actually, with Beasley and Josh Kogi um, at five and six. I just thought given you know, what's transpired in the last few days, that that, that could significantly um, deflate the contract number that Malik Beasley gets, realistically. And that... What that,
1: you then think would help his overall value.
2: Correct. Because the way that I look at it is if is if you get Malik Beasley at a lower roster number, you know, the... the new, number, yeah. Correct. Um, that... You know, there's a much higher potential that he outperforms that contract and then becomes a much more positive asset for the team that is, you know, that is trading for him. So in this case, let's say it's Philadelphia. The chances that he becomes a much more positive trade asset for Philadelphia are higher and higher and higher the lower that, you know, annual cap number is that that he has. And
1: I just think. I think we're kind of burying the lead here a little bit, though. It's the fact that, like, the reason Malik Beasley's contract value would drop is because he's showing consistently questionable behavior that would make him a less desirable person and player to have on your team. And, like, you know, I, I we got to see how that all legally you right. know plays out for him. Like, let's not – jump to full conclusions based off of what the police report said, even though that's, you know, very concerning for me. And, and and part of the reason why I, that's not where I have Malik, I guess two, two reasons is this isn't an isolated incident for Malik. This is probably the most egregious, um, but Malik has a history of off court issues, um, whether it was, you know, the, the fight he got into, um, when he was on the Nuggets, uh, it, it's just I know from having talked to people there are
2: red flags. There are
1: concerns, yeah, there are, and and on the other side of it, like to be fair, there's also like people who are like behind Malik, like this dude's a worker, and and right. it should be someone who really who really does develop. So it's I just think like we got to We got to acknowledge both both sides of the coin there, and as we right. sit here. At the beginning of November, his court dates in two weeks. Like We don't we don't know. But that's part one for me. Part two for me, why I pushed on Malik Beasley is let's not get carried away with how much a guy can bring you back in a sign-in trade. Like, you may like – Also, maybe, not, not just a
2: sign-in trade. A sign-in trade where the base year compensation clause is going to come into play.
1: Yeah, which makes it harder to trade him. Correct. So he, it's hard to trade a player, and assign a sign trade. Assigned trades historically don't bring you back much value. Like maybe a first round pick if you're a really good player, like a max contract player, like Kevin Durant, in a, in his sign and trade to to Brooklyn. But historically, we're talking about like maybe adding on a couple seconds or something. Like that's not a because because you you're you're basically. You're basically trading for the right to play him at his market value. Yep, his at the market value. So that's it, you're trading for a neutral asset, and it, it's not exactly that. I, I still view it to be a pos, a, a player on a sign and trade, a restricted free agent to be a positive asset. Like Malik's definitely that and has has trade value, but I think specifically when we line this up against a Jared Culver or a Josh Okogie, to me, I don't think it's I don't think that's close. I think I think Jared Culver. No matter what you think about him as like a a shooter or or going forward I think his value in the in the eyes of the league at large is a is a lot higher he's a year removed from being the sixth overall pick that wasn't I don't think people thought that that was a a real reach to draft him there like they traded something to get him so maybe like that part of it on the Timberwolves end might have been a reach but like as far as him being the sixth best prospect in the 2019 draft like a year ago that wasn't a hot take no um and and he's he's one year removed from that and he's on he's on a rookie scale contract for three more years and then he becomes a restricted free agent like that on paper is is a pretty nice asset i would be very interested to know what that would just bring you back in a vacuum you know in a trade i think it would i think it's more valuable than the number 17 pick right now so do i in this in in this draft so so i've Culver there Right next to Okoge, just just above him. I I think Josh will be a more impactful player in the NBA next season. But Josh is also only has two years left on his contract. Plus, we kind of know what Josh Okoge is, right? Like, the Jerick Culver could be – there's like – there's this chance that he is something a lot more than he was his first year. Because there's less we've seen of him. Exactly. Right. And and I just think kind of the archetype of the Josh Akogi player is I, I like that type of player, but like give me that guy to be at most my fifth starter. You know what I mean? Like with, with Jared Culver, I still think you're holding out hope that this guy could be a more dynamic piece in the NBA when 20, he's 25 a fifth years starter. old. Exactly. You're, okay. you're, you're at least you're hoping for that. So that's why I want Culver above. Um, I want Culver Akogi. And then I went with the number seventeen pick, and then Malik. Okay. So we're wow. we're okay. seeing that Malik value a, a little bit different. And I don't. I mean,
2: and I, and I and who knows?
1: We're we're guessing here to to some extent.
2: And and I think that understand that's understandable, just because obviously, I mean, I mean, you've talked to people that that would obviously have a better, you know, I, idea of of kind of having a measuring stick of where he is. But um, my thing with Malik is just isn't almost necessarily thinking about it in the lens of like just this one trade i'm thinking about it more in the long term where like sure fair. just totally arbitrary let's say somehow malik's value is back where the contract he rejected last year was so he gets a contract that's 3 for 30 yep i think the chances that malik overperforms that contract of 10 million dollars per year and stays on a somewhat straightened arrow. Um, I think the chances of that happening are high enough to a point where I put him over a Kogi and Culver and we see it differently. And, and, and I don't, I don't think there's any, any real problem with that necessarily. Um, just cause I think
1: there's a difference in the perception of what the Timberwolves and I think Timberwolves or NBA fans view of Malik Bees versus the leagues versus the leagues. I think that's just, that's i mean i'm not saying i've got the pulse on on all of it but from the people i've talked to like and that makes sense i i've heard them be like yeah i'm not sure we would have paid them that denver three years 30 million dollar thing and maybe that's you know more right. in the light of these these right. accusations and stuff but we were getting pretty carried away right like at the after they traded for him, like oh maybe this is a guy that like you know he shot 43 percent from three he scored like 20 a game he was doing something like maybe he's like a 15 million a year player like that was that was the narrative right and And that wasn't a
2: crazy that I don't think that was a a super crazy take either
1: no I I mean I think a a lot of a lot of people were were saying that a lot of a lot of plugged in people were saying that I think there's just the the part of Malik Beasley's game we just want to talk about like as a basketball player that drives down his value and I don't think just because the Wolves were so bad at defense this didn't show up as egregiously is that he has not been a good defender and does not project to be a good defender he's short and slight of build and is not the most athletic yeah I mean he's kind of like I more have a problem with like with what I've seen from him on film defensively in terms of awareness like I think that dude's gonna fight on defense but if he's a step slow in reading it like that's an issue too and that that's just kind of like and I don't I think he, just something I don't there.
2: think he's athletic enough to make up for the laps in in, he's pick, not in reading a play. Yeah.
1: He's not strong enough to do so. I think he's he's, you know, different types of athleticism. How do we even, you know, define that? Right? <laughs> right. The, the Duke can fly and he's pretty fast. Like, right. that's athletic. But I don't know how that stuff doesn't – that translates to, like, offensive athleticism, different than defensive athleticism. That's a different conversation. But, exactly. Um, Very different conversation. So,
2: so getting back to my list, so I'm at six now. And so six – I actually had Josh Okogie over Jarrett Culver. Um, and I think that might be just a function of the fact that I'm higher on Josh, the player, than I think Jarrett, the potential – like, whatever the potential Jarrett Culver is. Um, but the one thing that I think is that is encouraging about both players is both players really bought into the Timberwolves kind of ideology and philosophy of taking really smart shots. So if you just want to break it down in terms of players who took, if you look at the frequency of combined shots that players took either at the rim or from three, Josh Okogi took 84% of his shots at the rim or from three. And so that was 26th in the NBA. If you want to look at Jarrett Culver, Jarrett Culver was 28th in the NBA in that. So both both did a very good job in terms of buying into taking smart shots. And I think with young players, that's that's important. That they've proved that they can that they can take
1: smart shots. And I understand they the f- they bought into analytically sound shots Correct. in a vacuum. Correct. Like yes, the best things to do are to to get to. Get to the basket for layups. Get to the basket for free throws and take threes. And I right? don't.
2: And I don't necessarily think that the two of them forced a ton of terrible shots last year either.
1: No, I just think they're bad at them. <laughs> like, no, I'm. I'm <laughs> no, serious. I know, like, I don't, no, I know. I don't think that's the best shot pro- profile for for Jarrett Culver. Like, I I don't think that's like Jarrett Culver shot 50 percent at the basket. Like that. That's a. To me, that's a pretty strong signal that he's probably not going to be a player who gives you a ton of that analytical value at the rim, particularly when we factor in that rim shots are tied to getting to the free throw line where he's, a, he's a problem there too. Correct. So I, I think you just, <laughs> this isn't just about like the little numbers that they have on the court stickered on there, the, the points per shot value there. Those are points per value of like the average player at taking those shots. Like, Jarrett Culver is or was objectively a bad player at taking shots at the rim. He was objectively a bad player at taking three-point shots. So did he do the quote-unquote right thing? I don't know if he did the quote-unquote right thing. I don't know if that will ever be the quote-unquote right thing for Jared Culver, given what his skill set is. I think he is a player who needs to work more in the inefficient ranges of the floor the the middle of the floor whether that be distributing from 15 feet but also occasionally shooting from 15 feet I think that's where Jared Culver becomes a player who takes better shots and Josh I think is a little bit different like I do think he's good pretty good at the rim and we know he's like an 80 percent free throw shooter so like give me that I think we need to maybe slide him to the corner if he's taking threes rather than above the break
2: right and and when you and and that was kind of another number that that I had too was that you know, he was the worst above the break catching three point shooter of of any player in the league that played. You know, at least fourteen hundred minutes, which is a good sample size of minutes. Um,
1: right. He was last. Trevion Graham was second to last, and Jarrett Culver was ninth four, to last.
2: Yeah, it was it was bad. Um, yes. So my thing too, and, and going off of of a Kogi there, like I, I think that a Kogi will be a better three point shooter than that moving forward. I, I am I have much more faith in his shot than I do Why? in Jarrett Culver's shot. Why? Because I think it's, I think it's a lot more fluid. And I think with Josh, it's less of a mental game. So you're,
1: it's, it's mechanic. You like, you're, uh, you think that. The
2: combination of mechanics and the fact that I think Josh doesn't strike me as a guy who gets in his head quite as much as someone like Jared called that's fair. that's I fair. I think that, I think that that combination gives credence to being a little bit more successful from, from three.
1: Yeah. Um, but the the, the counter argument to that is he has two years of shooting under 28% from three in the NBA. And that's totally fair. That's fair. Jarrett Culver has one year where yeah. we know he was in his head. Yep. Like for, for me, I got just to like, put it, I, I, I would bet, and I don't, I think everyone pretty historically low on Jarrett Culver as a shooter. I would bet on three years from now, Jarrett Culver being the better shooter in the NBA than Josh Kokie That doesn't mean he's the better player because for neither of them is that going to be league average as right. a shooter or above for sure not above league average and but part,
2: and part of it too is I, I would rather have a Kogi at two years seven million than I would rather have or I would rather have a Kogi at two for seven than than Culver at three for 21 that's another but is
1: that try. in the context of the Timberwolves or in the context of trade value because now we're I, I mean maybe it it maybe that's the same thing well like yeah you, I mean
2: in, in the context of having them on your team I, I mean obviously the lower number is better but you know, it, it could be an argument for, hey, Jarrett Culver has higher trade value because that average, you know, that average number is higher. And because of the fact that he's a, a prospect guy with, with relatively high potential in your mind, sure, that, that that higher number, you know, opens up more opportunities for him to be included in a trade for another star.
1: I just think this is this is an important question for not not for us to answer because who are we? But for for them to ultimate the, the Timberwolves front office to ultimately come to because when they make big trade X when that time comes whether it's Ben Simmons you know this fall or if it's somebody else like a year down the road I, I do think they will be posed with the decision of Josh Okogie or Jarrett Culver being involved in that trade and it'll be interesting. To know which one of those two were valued more by teams around the league, versus and and which one of them was valued more by the Timberwolves, right?
2: You, so if I if I had to ask you right now, who do you think the Timberwolves would rather include in a trade if it happened today?
1: It's so hard to know what they actually think about Jarrett Culver. Um, I think they, I. I that's hard. I don't know. They didn't draft Josh Okogi. They didn't draft Josh Akie and they did draft Jarek Culver. This front office did. I think they really like Josh Okogi um in the sense that he's one of the only guys on the team who projects to be an above average defender. Um but I think ultimately they would trade Josh Akogi before they would trade Jared Culver. Interesting. Right now. Interesting. I, that would but it's close.
2: Yeah. And I mean the other thing too, I mean, it all depends on who you're who you're trading for and what ends up being the the difference between yes and no? But I also think that that Josh's you know personality and and quote unquote leadership on a team that oh, has take been the quotes de-
1: off, man that that dude is a, that dude will be a leader on this team this year, hundred percent. Yeah, and 100%. the
2: fact that I mean, you look at the two longest tenured Timberwolves is Cat, and then right behind him is Josh Kogi, um, and I think that that matters. And I think considering everything that's that's happened this summer, and the fact that Josh has been in Minneapolis and been around guys and has been you know, even with young guys like, like Vanderbilt, like you've seen, I think that the things that they've put out on social media, at least that, that Josh has shown with the way he's interacted with young guys that have been in there. I think that, that, that positive energy and influence um, permeates through to, to younger guys. So I think that's important. I'm I'm with you and with
1: you. Um, Go ahead. Let's uh, let's uh, roll through just, I mean, briefly, these are only marginally positive, you know, Roster assets and Nasri, Jake Layman, and Juancho Hernangomez. But do you have a do you have a ranking on that on those yeah. three? Yeah,
2: so I had, I actually had, I, so I had seven the seventeenth pick at eight. So that was my that was my last okay. thing there. And then mm-hmm. in terms of the last three guys, um, respectively, I had Jake Layman, Nasri, Juancho Gomez.
1: Right, I'm I'm with that too. I, I think maybe some people would would think of it in the sense of Juancho is a better basketball player right now than Nasreed and probably better than Jake Lehman. Um But again, this is, this would be in an a sign and trade where maybe you're getting there. Maybe you're getting back some slight positive value. Like again, teams will be trading for him at his market value. Um, that's just nothing. Not going to needle. be nothing. Exactly. Nothing but I think these are the guys if we're going to have a Ben Simmons straight conversation that they are something they're positive assets so they're not money that a team needs to take on and be like oh we gotta eat 7.7 million dollars to Jake Lehman like no I think pretty much every team in the NBA is like cool that's a fine contract we'll take that on maybe they'll be in our rotation maybe won't that's a fine asset um and I think they would say the same thing about Nazreed, who his contract is all not non guaranteed. You see what he got there. Maybe it was a diamond in the rough. And now you've got a guy a year from now who can be in rotation for the minimum. Like there's some positive in intrigue to all that. Which leads us to the the ultimate question here is would you give up all of that? In one atomic transaction, obviously this would be in a multiple team trade. But would you give up the number one overall pick, twenty twenty three unprotected, twenty twenty five unprotected, Jarrett Culver, Josh Akogi, number seventeen, at Nasri, Jake Lehman, Would you give up and, and Malik Beasley and Wancho in these signing trades? Would you give up all of that value, however you grade it to be, to get back Ben Simmons in a trade?
2: Do you let me keep one player? Or are we going all of it?
1: I, I don't I'm asking you, what would like if uh, so you gotta, I would I would, ultimately they say no, you gotta put this all in. Would you put that all in?
2: I would put it all in. I because the way that I the way that I think about it, and the way the chips fall, is how many small market teams have been hyper competitive in the NBA? I I can really only think of of like one, maybe two teams. And it's Denver cool. and Utah. At sure. least in, in the recent years. You do not have an opportunity to get three all-star players. I mean, whatever you think of D'Angelo Russell, D'Angelo Russell is a one-time all-star. I'm calling D'Angelo Russell an all-star because he's sure. been an all-star. So you don't have an opportunity hardly ever to get three all-stars and a small market team all, you know, heading into their primes, under contract for all of them at least three years. I just, I just think that if you're a small market team, you bet on that happening or you bet on that trio, that core, and you bet on the front office that has worked all over the world scouting, has mm-hmm. has significant experience in the G League, has significant experience in terms of working the trade deadline and working the just the overall trade market to try and find these really cheap minimum deals that you can try and kind of groom while they're still on this contract so you can hope hopefully get them in your rotation while they're on these minimum or cheap deals. Um, And then if they don't work, be able to flip them as restricted free agents. I I just think the process that this front office takes and how they approach the incremental moves to get better would, would work very well when you don't have a whole lot to work with after giving up this mother load to get a guy like Ben Simmons.
1: I, I totally think I, I totally get what you're saying. And, and I agree. I think that's, that is their mentality. And, and I think this is something along this, these lines is that they, they would consider, but ultimately, ultimately, if they do put it all in and let's put that 2027 in there too, okay, unprotected and say, it's, you know, say this, this trade happens when the off season is going on after the draft let's just focus on the draft picks you're giving up the number one overall pick you're giving up three unprotected picks in 23 25 and 27 plus you're giving up number 17 in the current draft like you get a player right now that's that's five really valuable first round picks
2: are you ready to i i I see like i don't put the 17th pick as a really
1: valuable pick i i do you think okay do you think that the seventeenth pick in this draft is more or less valuable than seventeenth pick next year? I think What it's, would you rather have?
2: I would rather have the seventeenth pick next year without a doubt.
1: I guess that leads into a whole the conversation about do we think that this draft is heavy this twenty twenty draft is light on the top but strong in the middle. I think there is historically we've seen there's a time value of money argument to be made about draft picks. Yep. Where a, a a pick the, the most the next pick is always going to be more valuable than than the future pick or not always but that's generally speaking how this works and I I, I think it would would be there too but I hear you it's certainly not in the conversation of, of a the 2023 other unprotected pick right like that is a or certainly not the number one pick God. like I'm not going to hold
2: up on the trade because of the 17th pick is is yeah. I guess what I'm getting at.
1: And and to your previous point, they're like, all right, we didn't get the 17th pick, but we do have. We believe in our scouting. We believe we can pull somebody out from with 33, and we can we can sign that guy to a Jalen Noel, a Nas Reed contract, which will be cheaper. And like, we we trust that we know who to, who, who to pick there. I, I do think that 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 lines up with with what their with what their vision is. I'm just saying if we put 2027 in there too like we are getting close to the draft compensation that the lakers gave up for anthony davis and that the clippers gave up for paul george and that's a lot like that is a lot a lot it's just i mean part of those trades too were the draft assets were the Brandon Ingram Lonzo Ball Josh Hart like that's a that's a big part of that too the Wolves can't match that like the prime roster asset jewel that we're putting in this is Jarrett Culver or Malik Beasley <laughs> just, on a restricted free nowhere near. yeah so so I mean to that end yeah I, I mean
2: and and the other thing that I guess I want to emphasize as well is that um the Timberwolves hired a national basketball analyst from 24-7 sports Josh Gershon um yep. Uh, to, to work with their scouting department because the Timberwolves are trying to get out in front of the whole idea of the draft expanding to include high school prospects, potentially as early as 2022, but more likely in 2023. And when that happens, I think that second round picks are going to have more value and that there's going to be a larger opportunity for for teams who have really strong scouting departments to find these diamonds in the rough and find these no, guys that's totally that, fair. that that's could totally potentially, fair. you know, you can groom through your G league team with, with, you know, how the G league is developed and and how those teams are being used. Now, my, I guess my thing is, is I trust the front office enough to work that process and use the G league, given the experience that they have using the G league to groom those players. Um, I would trust that track record a lot more than I would trust, um, you know, the track record of them to just draft first round picks and hope that they pan out and fit correctly with Towns and, and Russell um, and, and just go that way. I think the star hunting route, the chances of, of that working out are much higher than the chances of Minnesota creating something similar to what Denver has has cultivated.
1: Totally. The, the issue is, and let's just, you know, for the sake of the conversation, let's say that the Wolves are willing to put that all on the table. We're going to put, we're going to put number one, Plus three future unprotected picks on the table, plus, you know, take your pick of, of the roster assets if you want it. The Wolves could put that all on the table. And if you're Philadelphia, there's, you're not doing that. Like that, there's, a, they're not doing that for Ben Simmons, right? Yep. That's a, a 100% no from them, which leads us to the next step of this already complicated spider web. But this is the path. If we're talking a Ben Simmons path, it requires a multi-team trade because the Sixers aren't trading Ben Simmons unless they get back a Shea Gilgis Alexander, unless they get back a Brandon Ingram. So the Wolves need to, through the course of a multi-team trade, turn those assets into a Brandon Ingram or, or a Shea Gilgis Alexander, so then that can be rerouted to Philadelphia. Are, we, are you on the same page as me? So that that's that's where we have to start. And I think and you you highlighted these you highlighted three trades in, in your article. And before getting into the specifics of what the trades are, I really liked that you focused on Oklahoma City as as a main piece, as a almost required third team trade partner in this. Explain why it makes sense to have Oklahoma City in the trade.
2: Okay, so the reason why I had Oklahoma City in the trade is Oklahoma City, in my opinion, is the team that is most willing to eat salary in order to take back or in order to, you know, also rack up assets. Um, And so Philadelphia has two terrible contracts in Tobias Harris and, and Al Horford. And my assumption is that, you know, if you want to play ball for Simmons, you have to find a home for. Either Horford or Harris, but considering that Harris, in my opinion, is a more impactful player um, and raises the ceiling of your team more than Horford does, you'd want to get rid of Horford. So Oklahoma City there is there essentially to eat the salary of Al Horford.
1: Can I can I stop you right there? Because this is this is what I think will ultimately be the holdup in this trade. And why I don't think it will happen right now is, and I think this is a Daryl Morey thing. Where if you're Daryl Morey, like yes, he can see that. Tobias Harris is going to make $35 million next year and that makes him a negative asset and that his contract goes through for four more years. He he sees that, and he sees that Al Horford is also overpaid at $28 million. He would for sure acknowledge that. But what he would also say is Tobias Harris is not a bad basketball player. Al yep. Horford is not a bad basketball player. We are competing for a championship this year or next in these next couple years, and we need good basketball players on our team. So they are not in a... They are not in a. Please, just somebody take on our Chandler Parsons contract. Right. We're trying to suck absorb this player. I think that's why it feels like to trade Ben Simmons. That you need to find a way to decrease his overall value. He's just too valuable to 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 be traded. And a way to do that is to throw in negative contracts. Like I think that is like a. If we're playing one dimensional chess, that makes sense. The issue is that I don't see Daryl Morey just being like we need to we just need to get off of this contract. Like no, they would not just like to get rid of Tobias Harris and, you know, replace him with, you know, some mid-level exception guy because that would be a downgrade. Go ahead.
2: Are you talking specifically about Harris or also about Horford? Both. Okay. Cuz the reason why another reason why I think they'd be more inclined to keep Tobias Harris is because Tobias Harris played his best basketball and he was playing for the Clippers and her doc rivers. And I think that that is important through the lens good of, good
1: point, good point
2: of, you know, what do we have here? How can we use it? And how can this player or asset mm-hmm. help us win a championship as soon as possible? And I think right. that, I think the chances of you getting, you know, more value on the court is much higher from Tobias Harris than it would be from Al Horford. And so that's another okay. reason why I included Horford instead of Harris.
1: No, and I, I think I think that makes sense. I just don't think that ultimately Maury is gonna be like, let's just delete Horford. He what he would rather do is trade for another player who makes a similar amount of money who's also a bad contract, but maybe just fits their team better. Like I just don't think we can have this conversation of we need to find Al Horford just a place to to dump him. Like I don't I don't think that's what what the goal of this is. I think Maury sees, will see value in Al Horford in the sense that he has a big cap number, which means he can be traded for a player at that same cap number.
2: So you think that you think that he would try and purposefully keep Horford or Harris out of the trade in order to inflate Simmons's value or keep it at the same level. And then, you know, just try and trade Horford or Harris himself in a, in a separate deal. If you were to do that, if you were to if you were to trade them,
1: I think that's more likely. Okay, that and uh, that's just when I you know start playing trade machine with it. I I try and think about it from from Daryl Morey's perspective, and I think that's where it would break down for me. And and that also is because I have this belief that you're going to need to pay a hell of a lot for Ben Simmons. I don't think the Timberwolves have that hell of a lot. I don't think any team really has that hell of a lot to to pay for him right now and the only way to get it down to a reasonable price is to acknowledge al horford or tobias harris as the like objective negative contract they are right for the value they provide in a vacuum like i just like i don't think to go to houston like like i don't think they view eric gordon as a, neg- I don't think he viewed Eric Gordon as like a negative asset. It was like a necessary evil. Like Eric Gordon can play, and that's just what we had to pay Eric Gordon to have him play here. You, you know what I mean? And then you had to we had his bird rights, so we couldn't go out and sign another twenty five million dollar player. Our only route to a twenty five million dollar player was Eric Gordon, who's not actually worth it. You and then trade, and there? then
2: trade him because the salaries work together. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, right. I just. Which I think is I a think... different strategy than than most front offices would take, which is why. But, but don't you is feel like great.
1: that's a Daryl thing? Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean,
2: that's like... that's definitely a. Uh, I'm going to play check. I'm going to play checkers while you're playing chess. I, I, right. I, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and t- when you look at it specifically through the lens of, I want to keep Simmons' value as high as I possibly can, and this is how I'm going to do it.
1: I think, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not saying this. It totally precludes it, but it's, it's, it's the it's the wall that I hit there. And to your point, though, like maybe it is Horford because what we do know about Horford and Embiid is it didn't work. Right. So I would I would assume that Maury is less inclined to keep Horford around and maybe he finds a way to turn Horford into to take the Timberwolves example, James Johnson or in another sort of trade to take on another 20, 25 million dollar player that fits better it probably isn't worth it. Like I think there is, there is room for, for something to be had there. I liked your trade. It just seems a little weird to me to be like, Oh yeah. Al Horford to Oklahoma city. They're just cool with it. What would, what would Oklahoma city need to get to be cool with taking on Al Horford?
2: So in, ter- in, in and able- to be cool with taking on Al Horford, I had Oklahoma city, I had Oklahoma City uh, essentially getting Jarrett Culver and 17 was what I had for them to be cool taking on Al Horford
1: was how that yeah. worked out. Right, which is you know they're 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 taking a, a non lottery first and 17 plus a player who was a first round pick before like that's a pretty you know hefty return to take on a player
2: because he's got three years left.
1: Um, that's so. a pill that's a pill to swallow like right like Al Hor- like as much as Al Horford might make sense on a contender Al Horford makes just about zero sense on Oklahoma City right
2: I mean yeah if if you want to look at it that way I mean I also thought that that there was value there to have Horford because um, you know after Stephen Adams contract expires uh, for mm-hmm. Oklahoma City I mean you start looking around at at what what's left on that salary cap table. And there's just not really a lot there that they could attach with, you know, the mother load of picks that they have sure outside of Chris Paul um, to really go trade for a star just because you have, you have Adams 20 27 and a half million is an expiring. Mm -hmm. So next off season, it expires. Um, And then you also have Schroeder whose contract expires next season. So I thought that, that them bringing in another big contract in the fold, could help them later on down the line uh, with with trying to match, match And at some point,
1: members. they just got to pay guys. Like, <laughs> they got to fill up the, the salary cap, right? They got to spend up to 90% of the salary cap. And they'll like,
2: have that this upcoming season. But the, the mm-hmm. season after that, I think, is where you start thinking, okay, this is where Oklahoma City might start to make a move.
1: No, and, and I do th- – part of the reason why it does make sense for Oklahoma City is, like, if there's a team who's willing – to more willing to be bad for the next two years than any other team in the league. I feel like it's Oklahoma city, right? Correct. So it's, so in a way, in that way, Al Horford is less onerous to them because they're tanking for the next two years. If we assume that, you know, and that's a damn then, good way to do it. <laughs> right. Right. It, it, because now they're filled up 30% of their cap on a guy who is, is not worth it. But th- this is all a way of saying, they have this Chris Paul contract that can allows them to take on that negative, that quote unquote negative Horford value. And in this trade, and in a, a Wolves, Sixers, Thunder trade, ultimately the goal of the Sixers would be to take on Chris Paul. Correct. Does any bit of you what what do you think about just where Maury is at with Chris Paul in his head? He See. just traded two first round picks to get off of him a year ago.
2: So I see that primarily as, or at least, I don't know. I I see it more of James Harden didn't want Chris Paul there. And Daryl Morey is going to go to bat for James Harden and do what James Harden essentially wants that also fits, you know, Daryl's philosophy of, I want to get as much star power in the building as I can and figure out the best possible way to fill in the edges and make it work. And just
1: that his hands were tied. It was like, I, I have to trade Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. So I don't we'll think it felt make. that
2: he had to. But I, I think that, you know, when your superstar comes to you and is like, hey, I don't really jive. and your and owner
1: and, and your owner who.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different, you know, element <laughs> no. of that. But when he comes to you and is like, hey, I don't really want to play with this guy. And you mm-hmm. have a guy like James Harden, who's literally your entire franchise. I don't know if I play with play with the fire of saying, you know what, James, sure. deal with it. You play with Chris Paul and make it work. Right. even though that, in my opinion was probably their best, you know best po- possible path to, to winning a title.
1: Right. And so so what Chris Paul serves as here, presuming that Maury would be interested in him, is is he as the Shea Gilgis Alexander or the Brandon Ingram in this case. And obviously, this is a different type of asset because Shea and Ingram were guys who were going to become good, right? Chris Paul is very—it is the exact inverse. He is very good and will soon not be. And and it's just—it's an interesting way to think about it. And Oklahoma City is uniquely positioned to be able to do this, right? Like this is the inclusion of Oklahoma City. Is the only way I think the Wolves are able to do this type of trade without without the Wolves finding a way to trade all their picks for an Ingram or SGA? You know what I'm saying? Like then to then they got through the loophole, the trade. yeah. Okay, like they they get through this loophole by including OKC because OKC has this super bizarre Chris Paul asset. Plus, OKC doesn't want to be good it doesn't seem next year or the year after that. So they'd be willing, you know, to take some time with developing a Jarek Culver. They're not concerned that Culver might not be good next year. They're not concerned that Al Horford is just kind of flotsam. Like they would basically be doing with Al Horford, what they did with Chris Paul a year ago. Right. And, and just being like, well, let's just roll it out there or with Gallinari. Maybe that's a better example. Like, we're just going to play. We're just going to play and, and, and see what we have there. It is – I don't know if – because who knows what Presty thinks about all this. Who knows what Maury actually thinks about all this. But I do see – I do see the logic here of of this work as a means to getting Ben Simmons because it is a loophole. It is a loophole that doesn't require a, the stud that the Wolves don't have finding its way as an outgoing piece in, in the trade.
2: Right. I mean, and, and just looking at it um, also from a roster perspective, I mean, if you want to call Ben Simmons a point guard, I, I'm fine with that. Cause he, he functions as a one and he guards a lot of opposing ones or bigger ones. Mm-hmm. And that's fine with sure. me, but I think Simmons functions f- far, you know, far worse as a one when there aren't a whole lot of other shooters around him. And I think with, you have more a more traditional one that is more perimeter centric and is better at scoring from the perimeter. That can space the floor out for everybody. I think that also makes a lot more sense for them. And I think Philadelphia getting a guy who is still still a very high level point guard
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, is a big needle mover for them. Um,
1: no, I, I'm with you there for sure. So that that makes... that was my
2: thinking with the first trade there.
1: Mm-hmm. And you also uh, you also included charlotte in this trade it's actually a four-team trade up there but i just kind of want to talk about charlotte generally as an involved team whether it's in this trade or another trade because i i think that makes sense too like if we're buying into this narrative that charlotte is one of the few teams that has interest in trading up to the number one overall pick like they make sense to include in this. Like if they are the team who values the number one pick more than any other team in the league, like we got to get them involved here. So what's kind of, how, how do you kind of weave that take that logic into an OKC and Philly logic?
2: Yep. So essentially the way that I was thinking about this was, so if, if I'm Charlotte, right. And I want to move up to the number one pick, um, what guys am I most likely willing to, to part with? Um, and I think if you're, if you're another team that that holds the number one pick, whether that's Minnesota or Philadelphia or whomever ends up with the number one pick on draft night, um, that's talking trade, you're going to say, I want your 2021 unprotected first round pick, um, instead of, you know, a player in addition to number three, if that's what you're looking at, um. And then the two other people that you're looking at are P.J. Washington, likely, and Miles Bridges, who are two guys that are still on their rookie deals, who have shown a decent amount of upside that could be valuable to to a team. Um, and, and so those are the two guys that I really looked at. Um, but, you know, I thought that I thought that Philadelphia would likely be higher on a guy like P.J. Washington because, you know, he is a guy who shot, you know, 37, 37% on, on four threes a game in, in his rookie season, and could really help space that floor out as a rotation piece for, uh, for the Sixers right away. Rather than you know getting a versatile. No, I think
1: def- he, I think he makes a ton of sense on Philly.
2: Getting like. a versatile defender like like a Miles Bridges um, would mm-hmm. also work, but I mean he's just not the same shooter that uh, that PJ Washington is. So I thought that that made a lot of sense and would be a piece that that Charlotte's probably willing to give up if they want to go get you know the number one and likely so. Take so what James you did, Wiseman
1: what you one. did specifically in this trade which i think i think it makes sense that if the wolves are getting back simmons philadelphia is obviously getting back number 1 but philly probably doesn't have a ton of interest in just drafting at number 1 and being like okay anthony edwards go get out there next to chris paul like yep. that that's not that's not what it is so so you're taking for charlotte and and th- this is an interesting one charlotte would be getting number 1 and keeping number three, correct. And so for for number one, they would be trading their unprotected 2021 and PJ Washington, correct. I don't even know what to think about that. Is that fair? So
2: uh, for me, I think that I think that what happens is that Charlotte has kind of shown their hand a little bit and how much they they want James Wiseman, and I think that's going to elect- maybe yeah Potent- I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe yeah.
2: Yeah. So let's say they have. Um, and James Wiseman's their guy. Um, I think, you, and, and and there's no way that that they're going to end up. Like I think if Golden State stays at two, I think they're going to take Wiseman. But so, so, with that in mind, let's assume Golden State's taking Wiseman just for this thought exercise. Mm-hmm. That increases the value of the number one pick significantly because they have to leapfrog Golden State in order to get Wiseman. And sure. if and if you continually, if there's leaks continually coming out more strongly confirming that Wiseman is your guy over the course of the next week and a half two weeks I think that they're going to have to fork up more and more in order to to go do that and I think it's It's just it's an interesting
1: framework because they would still have three
2: correct and that's kind of what I wanted to throw into this is that yeah you lose your 2021 first round pick next year but let's say you take Wiseman one Golden State trades out of two and, and like Edwards goes two. And then you could potentially also have Lamelo three, who's the other guy that teams have potentially linked you to, or you can trade back from three. And let's say let's say Lamelo's there at three. You trade back with New York, and then you get Dallas's first round pick next year, so you get back right, right. into twenty twenty So that was kind of the logic that I was thinking with, but
1: Oh, it's interesting. Just, I, I was I, I read it when I was looking at the trade at first, and I'm, I'm assuming other people are looking at it too. They're just thinking like, Oh, Charlotte is paying number three and pj washington to get to one which i think that i don't know what might that in and of itself might make some sense and it's just basically another way of looking at at their assets and um i think there's some logic to it
2: yeah and so i i thought that you know i didn't want to explain it in the the article because it was already long enough but um but I thought that, you know, I think if they stay at three, two, there's a very, very clear avenue for someone to move up either for Edwards or ball at three. And I mean, New York makes a lot of sense just because they have that second 2021 first round pick next year that you could use to get back into that draft next year if Charlotte wanted to do that. Right. So. So that was that was you, kind of the the whole spiel of, of the first trade that I had there right and
1: and Jack tweeted out well obviously you can just go to his article at Kanisupas you just need to scroll through a bunch of words <laughs> to get to get to the trades but uh, you also just tweeted out these trades um you, you did another one let's just very briefly touch on this one because I want to get to to some other teams you also there there's there's a framework to be had without Charlotte involved and just Minnesota Philly and OKC that you know there there there's theoretically something to be had there um you know maybe Chris Paul isn't involved and it's Dennis Schroeder going to the Sixers is 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 what you you know you suggested there and and instead OKC is just getting back a lot of draft capital bottom of the line OKC makes a ton of sense to be involved in a Timberwolves Sixers bench industry. correct that's i think that's just the piece there um However, you, you, you did put together an example um, with, with OKC not in it, but kind of hit on another one of the hot trade teams, uh, which is the Wizards uh, with Bradley Beal, and finding this, this trade would functionally be finding a way to turn all of the Wolves' assets kind of into Bradley Beal. Um, you know, in, in conjunction with the Wizards, um, so that Philly gets so that Philly gets Bradley Beal and is thus willing to trade Ben Simmons. Correct. What's your thought process on that one? So
2: my thought process here is Maury wants a star. Um, mm-hmm. and that's important to him. And so you look at you look at Philly's needs. They really need more perimeter scoring on that team because they don't I mean, Tobias Harris, if your Tobias Harris is your best perimeter scorer. Good luck in the playoffs. Um, I mean, Beal's probably one of the three or four best perimeter scorers in the entire league. Um, he's still in his prime. I mean, he's still under contract for the next three seasons. Um, and he just makes a ton of sense, both as a, as a pick and roll partner with Joel Embiid, but also as a guy who can just go get you a bucket when you need one, which I, I think is incredibly important sure. if you want to be a very high level playoff team. Um, so he's a guy who I think, um, just makes a ton of sense from the angle that people are going to look at this through is that Mori wants to you know, bring stars into the fold rather than get rid of them, which I think is a very right. valid point to bring up. So that was kind of the, the the biggest thing I wanted to address there.
1: But what does, how do, how do we convince Washington to be rid of Bradley Beal? That's so, a big thing to let go of.
2: Yeah. So, so the thought process that I had there was, um, okay, so John Wall's obviously coming back and, and, you know, hopefully John Wall is as good as he's been, but, but, but Washington has no type of defense in their front court whatsoever. Uh, they essentially just were playing offense and, and offense only uh, this past season and just saying, let's go get buckets and and not worry about defense. So uh, a thought that I had was, you know, Aaron Gordon is a guy who seemingly can be had for the right price uh, from the magic. And so I thought if you include Orlando in here, that's another somewhat young player that that has a good amount of potential that you could include if you kind of wanted to do this reload on the fly and, and, and taking a guy like Aaron Gordon while also taking in a guy like Jarrett Culver, in addition to two first round picks for them. So that's kind of a way for them to kind of make a decision. Okay. Do you want to reload or do you want to fully rebuild? And I think that, that this option kind of gives them both while getting in front of the whole idea of bradley beal requesting a trade and them losing leverage
1: right that it, that that does it it makes it, it makes some sense there it's just they're gonna really need to take back they're gonna need to get a lot back in draft capital and you have them getting the number one pick back and the wolves 2023 unprotected and so your, i guess yeah. th- and jerek culver so i guess that's the question here is number one The Wolves 2023 unprotected, which we agree is their second most valuable asset. Jarrett Culver and Aaron Gordon, is that enough for Bradley Beal?
2: I mean, again, it all depends on – and I mean, I don't think you would request that. But you could throw the 2025 first round in there. Um, I didn't just because –
1: no, I, I, I don't. I mean, who knows? Yeah.
2: I, and, and I just think that the value of Aaron getting Aaron Gordon back, I, I think Aaron Gordon fits very, very well in what they want to do, especially if that's a team that's going to want to play fast with John ball, mm-hmm. with John wall driving the car again this year. Um, so I, I figured that that he fits as well. Yeah. Um, so I figured that, that that was pretty pretty decent value for, for Bradley Beal, um, especially if Bradley Beal has not requested a trade yet, just because the second a player requests a trade, I mean, the, the value does go down on some level. And, and, it's,
1: and it's worth pointing out that Bradley Beal is not as valuable of a trade asset right now as Ben Simmons is, not because, I mean, they're both, I would say, probably similar calibers of players, right, in the league, but the reason Ben Simmons a big reason as we went over in the beginning a big reason why Ben Simmons is so valuable is because he has not even started year 1 of a 5-year contract that is just very rare you know to to be had there so i think maybe some people are just listening to this they're like wait 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 you said it was you said Philly would turn down four first round picks you know for Ben Simmons why would Washington you know take two for Beal and the answer to that is as you pointed out Aaron Gordon's a good player would, would also be included in the deal Jarrett Culver is a prospect too um but that Beal is not a 24-year-old with 5 years left on his deal he has 2 years left one of which is a is a player option so you're it would be more of an immediate value rather than a long-term value like Ben Simmons and and, who, and I don't know I don't know what the difference in the price is there
2: yeah and and I mean and, like you were saying, with kind of the time value of money, is that, you know, a star today could be worth more than a star tomorrow or a star next right. year. Um, and so, considering where Philly's at and how soon they're trying to compete, I think that that also has value to them and, and brings an added value, I guess I should say.
1: To, to wrap this up and to just go full chaos, um, let's talk about a, a James Harden trade that you just sent me tonight. So I haven't even really had the chance to, to look at it, but there was um a Shams report that uh Philadelphia is interested in James Harden, you know, as as many teams would be if he was made available. Uh but there, there's the Maury connection and and I think you can paint a picture where if you're Houston, like they're in disarray um and and at some point they have like no draft capital because More used it all that they could you know, kind of start over and the way to start over best would be to trade James Harden as soon as possible when he's as young as possible and with as many years as possible left on his his contract. So, how insane um, does does that need to become, and why do why do the Wolves somehow get involved in that and wind up with Ben Simmons?
2: So, you know, I figure I've gotten a lot of people that have asked me about it since this happened. So, I figured that I would I would put something together um but so my thought process there is that you know thankfully the Rockets have a lot of guys with cap holds that are that are pending free agents so they have a lot of open roster spots so they're able to take back guys um mm-hmm. and so obviously if Philadelphia wants to acquire James Harden they're probably going to have to get rid of Ben Simmons like I I, I my assumption is that they would choose Joel and beat over Ben Simmons paired with James think Harden. that's fair yep. and so And you assume your other assumption is that Ben, you want Ben Simmons on the Wolves, okay? So in order to make that happen, um, you start thinking about okay, how can how can you kind of lower that? Like you were saying, how can you kind of lower the value of of James Harden? And that is to eat back, you know, the worst contract that that Houston has outside of Russell Westbrook. And in my opinion, Mm -hmm. that's Eric Gordon. Um, who just hasn't been able to stay healthy, and he's on a contract that's, you know, putting him at like 17 to $20 million a year over the course of the next four seasons. Um, so I had the Timberwolves taking back Gordon and Simmons, and then the Rockets, you know, I, I did have D'Angelo Russell going out in this one, um, just because I think the fact that that if Houston's going to get rid of James Harden, they have to get a young player that has a good amount of upside in addition to a mother load of picks, like you were saying, kind of that, that SGA. Um, and so I had D'Angelo Russell there as that. Um, and then in terms of your, your kind of Lonzo ball, if you will, um, or your Lon, or like if, if, if D'Angelo wants to be your, your Brandon Ingram, then you can have Jarrett Culver be that, that Lonzo ball of that kind of first round pick top tier first round pick who was somewhat fallen off the wagon, but there's still a good amount of upside there. Um, uh, but I also included Josh Richardson in that, just cause I think he's a solid role player that that can pretty much yeah. function well with, with any type of team. Um, and then I had the Rockets getting a two firsts from Philadelphia and then the number one pick from Minnesota and, and a 2023 unprotected first from Minnesota. But obviously I think if you're Minnesota, you're willing to, you know, potentially throw another one in there um, if you're also getting another player back.
1: Right. So it's, so it's four first round picks um, for James Harden, one of which is the number one overall pick. Another is an unprotected first from the Timberwolves in 2023. Those are two, you know, very valuable, valuable pieces. And then basically the Rockets just become kind of what the Thunder were this past year, where they kind of got this mishmash of guys. Um, You know, D'Angelo Russell, as you said, would kind of be their SGA. He's he is already on the max contract. I think that that hurts a little bit here. But again, if you are blowing it up as the Rockets and you're kind of, you know tot- I mean obviously you're blowing it up if you get rid of James Harden you're falling out of this uh it's fine to kind of make D'Angelo Russell your guy I maybe a subsequent Russell Westbrook trade is 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 happening here too it's just man it's just crazy to think about <laughs> James Harden <laughs> getting traded like and I and know, I think in, the in only, and I
2: think the only scenario in which James Harden gets traded and I sh- I guess I should have said this from the jump is that you're here you're operating with the assumption that James Harden has said I want to go Pair back up with Daryl. Yeah. Because other, otherwise, and there is, I mean, James Harden's got two years left, and then he's got a player option, I think, at the end. Is that how the end of the Supermax works, or is it just you're unrestricted?
1: I think you're just unrestricted. Okay, so yeah. then he's
2: got three years left. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't see Houston trading James Harden unless they absolutely have to, obviously.
1: It's just, I mean, the, yeah, but, I mean, you can you can make an argument that they're in a bad, bad spot right now like yes they could they could run it back again this year with Harden and Westbrook and they would they would be likely be similar to what they were, you know. Uh but a they year don't ago, have the two
2: was... they don't have the two architects of that team.
1: They don't have the Antonio and Moria.
2: Yeah. Which I think makes it at least a little bit more difficult.
1: Okay. <laughs> True, but it's not like they were exactly doing complicated stuff.
2: That's <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That that's very fair. I, it's just I think that in terms of the way that Daryl was able to make incremental like like the Robert Covington deal or going out and getting Jeff Green or, um, or like a Daniel, like I just I think that those are things that you know their next guy just is is not going to be able to do as effectively as Daryl.
1: That's kind of like saying Gerson Rosas isn't going to be able to do that because he used to be that guy. You know, he used to be his right-hand man. Like, if this would have, if this would, if Daryl, if point. Gerson Rosas, <laughs> if Gerson Rosas didn't take the Minnesota job, right, like this would have happened. Daryl gets fired and goes to Philadelphia and they just promote from within. Gerson Rosas would be the GM of the Houston Rockets right now.
2: Yeah. And I, or let me say this: I guess it's different if, you know, if, you know, if that next guy is someone within or. You know is right. someone who's external, and that's obviously something we don't know because they haven't hired a new
1: no, they hired the I forget his name, it's the it's the it's he was Maury's right hand guy.
2: Oh, they did okay, mm-hmm. yeah, oh okay, and, and then, then yeah, they I hired guess...
1: Steven Silas to be the coach.
2: I, I knew about Silas, I didn't know, I didn't, I guess I didn't hear about Um, I mean, and, and, and who knows? I don't know if that's an interim thing or if that's going to be a long term thing or not, right? But... right. Right. Um, but that's just I, I,
1: I would just say for me, if I was if I was in Houston right now and I'm looking and if you could give me a 10 year contract so I know that like, <laughs> I have time to like actually, you know, see this play out like I, 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 I think it's perfectly reasonable to consider trading James Harden because because I look at this team don't have first round picks. Bory traded them all. We got Russell Westbrook on the books. So we are just in cap hell like it's the only way out is through you've got an owner
2: who doesn't want to pay anybody anything
1: I mean I feel like that's a fact like it sure seems like it so I I I guess what I'm saying is it's funny I was I'm months ago during just pandemic boredom I was like you know if the if the off season gets completely insane like is it crazy to say that James Harden gets traded and and I really I really don't think so like because of where Houston's at like I I obviously they would need to get a ton back It would need to right. be in a perfect situation like this where they're able to get the number one pick and they're I mean they're gonna have to get an OKC level load back yep like what Paul George essentially got. more and James, more well and there should be more James yeah. Harden is better right. a lot better than Paul George um, which which is a, a, a factor in this too but I I mean uh, this would be one of the craziest trades in NBA history if it actually happened which means it probably won't <laughs> happen but but like in theory I I, I hear you like and the, these are the unlikely paths to Ben Simmons but but this is this is how you do it if you're the wolves you say all right we're putting it all on the table number 1 plus our next three unprotected picks that we can trade we've got a couple of guys who are decent role players on the rookie scale contracts with Culver and Okokie. we got Malik Beasley who is a player um and he's a, he's restricted but you can we're like We could find a way to reroute him somewhere else. Like that, that, you know, that, that's a meaningful asset. Like there, there's this world where the value that the Timberwolves have can be repurposed into enough for Ben Simmons. I don't think that that's crazy to say. And it is. It just can't
2: happen dealing solely with Philadelphia.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely can't. That that definitely can't happen. And, and I guess this is me kind of like coming off of my stance. I remember I like tweeted something a month or so ago where I was like, all these Devin Booker, or Ben Simmons trades are stupid. Like, there's no way, there's no way that the Wolves are able to get Ben Simmons back without Carl Anthony Towns or DeAndre Russell leaving in a trade. And I think I was somewhat, you know, short-sighted in that, and really not understanding the breadth of what, of what the Wolves' assets were. And for me, a big, a big shifter. Or the reason I, we're doing this pod, this this podcast is because the the pieces have moved with Daryl Morey being the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't even think – I mean, in Minnesota, I think people get it. But, like, around the league, I don't think a lot of people even know who Gerson Rosas is, like just like general NBA fans. Like, Gerson Rosas and Daryl Morey are tight. Like, the, the, the stupid comparison I made is, like, he <laughs> – Gerson Rosas and Daryl Mori are like that dude in your fantasy football league that you just are firing back trades back and forth every <laughs> single week, you know. And you just you just like exchanging trades back and forth all the time. And maybe like, you know, th- th- there's no shame in sending a bad offer, and it just eventually, you know, you because you, you know that you relationship's not going to get broken. Exactly. That's right. what I'm and and to me, to me, I I'm, I'm factoring that in, and I'm I'm now at least considering the possibility. From reading your article and looking at trade possibilities like this, maybe it's not the James Harden one. that one's like a little too chaotic. Right. What Oklahoma City has, what we know about Oklahoma City and how we know that they want to be bad, or we think that they want to be bad, they've got this Chris Paul contract. Chris Paul makes sense on the Sixers. We, we, what we know about Charlotte and how they want James what, – what we think that they want James Wiseman. There, there's a way to play this where we boost the value of the number one overall pick. Where – where it where what the Wolves have to offer can become enough to get Ben Simmons in if you are able to push all the buttons and those other GMs, if Presty green lights it, if uh what, what's the cup Charlotte's check. guy? If, cup if, check. yeah, Cup Check. If he green light, I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of hoops to jump through here. But for me, I can just say I wouldn't be having this conversation I wouldn't even be doing this podcast if I was like these are just all completely stupid trades i just don't think they'd be worth the time i think i think there's conversations to be had here i don't know maybe it's just seven months of no basketball boredom but i i i think i think it's real and it at least sets the table at a minimum for the trade deadline coming up next year or what i've always said next next summer 2021 like when the because i do think eventually Gerson Rosas is going to go all in and say, this is everything we got. We want to bring back a Devin Booker, a Ben Simmons, a facsimile of that, a 25-year-old star. That they will they will make that all-in move at some point. I don't know if they have quite enough assets right now. Maybe it takes another year of mm-hmm. cultivating this number one pick, of cultivating Jarrett Culver, so he's clearly or- something of value. Like, I don't know. Or maybe cultivating the
2: mal the discontent of a guy like a Booker or a Simmons. I mean, that's something too. Yeah, that's, sure. that's, something. that's something too. That could almost be an asset that Minnesota could play by waiting
1: out. Oh, it might know, be the situ- biggest asset. Yeah, it might exactly. Be, it probably would be the the. It would be the match. Yeah. Right. Like. And the, and the other. And th- Go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's like that's what that's what Gerson Rosas and Daryl Morey did in 2012 with James Harden. They were sitting there with the net, and they said. Shit goes to hell, and with the, a disgruntled star, we're gonna be there with the net. And here you go, we will bring in James Harden. We have the package, we have the assets ready to deliver them. And and I believe that is what Gerson Rosas and the Timberwolves front office is thinking. Is the is it time for the match in twenty twenty? Probably not. I don't think so. But I think they're I think they're gonna be ready for it. Like they they are going yeah. to have the net cast. To catch the first available twenty-five and under star that becomes made available, and they will pay up for it. And, they and, will pay all those unprotected picks.
2: And that's what we talked about in August too. Was you know in the pod that we did about you know potential trades to the number one pick. Um, you know we talked a lot a lot more about that. I mean I don't think we really talked much about you know using the number one pick to go get a star, like because obviously doesn't have the trade value to just like go get a star right now. Uh, it's not
1: one to one. None of this is one to one. Oh, it's absolutely Three D chess.
2: Yeah, it's not even probably like three to one or mm-hmm. yeah. And right. so, and so, I guess the point that I wanted to make is that before you know everybody gets mad online at me, um, is one all of these trades are operating under the assumption that that trade happens like in two weeks or in three weeks or a month. Right. And and the chances of that happening, in my opinion, an uninformed one, is that it's very low. Barring something crazy happening, and so th- these op, the, I mean the paths that you can go down to to acquire a Booker or a Simmons or a Player C increase once you get into next season because you run the you run you, I mean the door kind of starts to open for maybe you know DeAndre is on diuretics again and gets suspended 25 games and in this in the Phoenix season starts out poorly, right, you're or just he rolls waiting. his ankle. Yeah, you're you're yeah. waiting. But in the time that you're waiting, it also gives you more opportunity to work the trades. Like if, if you trade back from three to one, or excuse me, from one to three, and then let's say Golden State ends up taking, you know, ends up being unable to find a trade partner, or they do find a trade partner and Edwards goes too. Then there mm-hmm. might be another team that wants to hop up and get LaMelo. So you trade back again. There's even more assets that you could potentially be coming up with. Um, well, and that—that's so why just, my my stance yeah. has
1: always been that is it's the yeah. churning that it's the trade back and sack. I mean, because ultimately, ultimately, the goal is is that they're able to bring back a player like Ben Simmons. That is it's, not just he, your eye gold. Like that is the that is the stated goal of this this front office, right? Blatantly, and and so, I just
2: wanted to highlight that so people didn't take that and and run. With mm-hmm.
1: Right? No, 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 no. And and this for any of this to happen, something is going chaotic. Is, is is going to need to happen. Happen to, to instigate it, right? But but it, it might end up being where you know if we would have done a last off season, done a D'Angelo Russell the Minnesota trade pod, we would have gone through all these sort of things, and we would have suggested all these different types of moves I did that podcast, you know, and it ultimately didn't come to fruition because the Wolves didn't have enough to make it happen. But then in time, you get to the next trade deadline, and all the pieces on the board have shifted, and and. Deandre Russell is made more available right that that could very well you know be be the case with Ben Simmons Devin Booker and, or whoever that other guy is like right. we don't know what we don't know what 50 more games of basketball will do to the population of the NBA like these guys develop over time and it we're just waiting for that one guy
2: yeah and I mean and, and you look at it the other way it could be Carl Anthony Towns who knows? 100%. Who knows? So it's not 100%. it's not just like the Timberwolves are exempt from this. But but the two things that that I wanted to bring up um, or, or kind of ask about, I guess, bef- before we get out of here is is one. I've gotten a lot of questions about. About the fact, so so before acquiring D'Angelo Russell, Minnesota went out and got Pablo Prigioni. They obviously knew the connection that the Prigioni and Russell had um, and, and that that would help you know, the transition once Russell eventually got to Minnesota, what, what is the connection between Joseph Blair and Simmons? Is there one, you know, is that laying the groundwork to go try and get Ben Simmons? You know, is that transitive property? Like they got Pergione, so they're going to go for Russell. Now they have Blair. Are they going to go for, are they going to go for Simmons?
1: That's your question for me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Would be would be my honest answer. I I think that's a fair dot to connect. I mean, the the Prigioni. I think the Prigioni Russell connection in Brooklyn, or was more stated. Yeah. Like that was just that was just out there more. Like Ben Simmons is a more, you know, it's just maybe more private. Or Joseph Blair is more private. Or Philly is more private. Like I I don't we I I don't think we know. But it's it also doesn't. It also might just be one of those situations where they're like, yo, we got your guy here. Like, did you remember Joseph Blair? Like, (laughs) like, you know, not necessarily like, it's just, maybe that improves the odds of it happening by 1%, you know, those sort of things. Like, I think there's a, there's a whole bunch of those little dots that you you, you can connect where they're just kind of like rolling dice, like Keelan Martin. Like that one seems super small. Like, Last year at Summer League, it's like, who the hell is Keelan Martin? It's this dude who's playing overseas in, like, I don't even, like, Turkey or something. And all of a sudden, he gets one of the two-way contracts, you are like, okay, Keelan Martin, I guess. And then you're like, oh, Wait. Keelan Martin was D'Andre Russell's best friend growing up? Like, that's doesn't feel random. I don't know if they were playing that many moves ahead, but they were like, this might not hurt. We can give a, we can give a two, like, what's the value of a two-way spot? Like, give it to this kid. He can, he could shoot. See, you know, it, I, I would say that the Joseph Blair thing is probably more like that, more like in theory, but, but I think they, I think they, I think they play those games.
2: Yeah. And I mean, especially considering too, that, that Blair has history with, you know, the, the Houston G League team that, that Roses comes from too i, yep. and it, I mean and there's that connect, there's that connection too, where there wasn't with with prigioni Dude, um, and, and james so. i mean
1: james johnson was was there in in houston when right. gerson was the i mean that that's not all random yeah it's not all random it might be some happenstance but there's something there do you say you have another question
2: yeah i guess the, the one other thing that that i was going to to bring up um was was too that like i mean there's history there with like um uh, with the net that you were talking about. And the thing that I, mm-hmm. I think that you, you worry about is are there teams out there in the NBA that could theoretically build that net to be a stronger one uh, and, and build it more quickly than the Timberwolves met or could
1: like. Sounds like you have a theory of a, of a team that it might be.
2: No, I, I mean the two teams that I was thinking of is Oklahoma city and in the Knicks so
1: Oklahoma City is the first one that comes to my head yeah yeah I mean they 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 already have this trade package right yep and 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 Oklahoma City I think is in this very nice position right now where they have SGA who is will be a one of those guys who for sure gets a max contract and you're like that's good we have no problem playing in a max contract i don't know if he's going to be a superstar like i think he's gonna be like an all-star they already got that guy but then they got this what would what we say five unprotected first round picks four unprotected first round picks they have the biggest wad of cash out there to go as soon as any of these guys become made available to say like all right devin bookers out there like what's up phoenix like one first two first three no first, one's four beating first. our offer like, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like they they can do that. And, and and New Orleans can too, because from the Anthony Davis trade. Yep. And plus they have some of these they have more of these roster assets like plus holiday
2: too, if they want to trade him.
1: Holiday? I'm even more thinking like a you know, a year or or two down the road right. they, yep. they they extend Lonzo Ball. they give the extension to Brandon Ingram. You know, that that sort of thing. Like I think they're there. The interesting part or where the Wolves almost might have a leg up, at least over Oklahoma City. Is I don't think Oklahoma City is ready to make that move anytime soon. Like I think Oklahoma City is going probably wants to have the worst record in the NBA next year, so as to get one of the top picks in the loaded twenty twenty one draft. Yep. If if Ben Simmons or Devin Booker become made available now or at the deadline, I don't think Sam Presti is whipping the wad out to go say because we can offer more you, than anybody else. You don't think you? I don't want to think mess the timeline's the there. Yeah. Yeah, I I think like I think there's, they're not ready to put this is just conjecture, this is me guessing, but I don't think they want to put that net out there until they have SGA and stud draft pick X ready to go from the and 2021 yeah. class. I think I don't actually if it were me if it were me and I was Sam Presti, and as soon as as Ben Simmons or Devin Booker, I'd just be like, we got that we locked the guy up. Like Simmons has five years left. I, I would I would probably just jump on that. But I could see I think Sam Presti has a lot of job security there and has a long rope to be like, this is the vision. This is yeah the process. And I and I know? guess
2: the the other thing too that, that Minnesota could have over over a team like Oklahoma City or the Knicks, because I think the Knicks are gonna kind of do what Oklahoma City, you know, could also do this summer, is eat a bad contract. Like I could see right. the Knicks trading for Chris Paul eating a contract and taking back a draft pick or two, but also taking back additional bad contracts to try and build out that net. They already have two first round picks next year. They have, mm-hmm. I think they have, they have two first round picks this year, or three first round picks this year um, that they can use to trade back and build that net. So do you think that Minnesota, like, I mean, Booker, I mean, it's not hard to connect the dots of why Booker would want to play in Minnesota. Like, do you think that there's a chance that player is like, I know that, or the player's agent is like, I know Oklahoma City is going to come calling. I know the Knicks are going to come calling, but mm-hmm. Devin or Ben would prefer to go play with, like, go play in Minnesota, where like Ben Simmons was high school teammates with D'Angelo Russell, and they won two national championships at Montverde Academy. And then Booker obviously is just boys with with Kat and Russell. Like, I do you think that that there's that also working for the Timberwolves that could move them up in the pecking order over
1: my understanding. Team? My understanding of all of that and them being boys and all of that stuff is it's overrated. It's fair. It's I mean none of us would. It's not nothing. It's not nothing, but that it's overrated. Um, The reason Devin Booker will come here, the reason Ben Simmons will come here, is because the Wolves offered the most picks. We're also not talking about free agency here. Yep. Like these guys are under contract. Mm -hmm. You wanted to have a conversation years. For years, four years, yeah. like maybe four years from now, Devin Booker is an unrestricted free agent. And he's like, I want to go to Minnesota to play with Carl Anthony Towns because we're boys. Uh we got a hell of a long way to like. Right, we got to make sure the franchise is still in Minnesota. There's a there's a whole <laughs> bunch of things. got to make sure Cat is still on the team. Like there's a Two there's a whole imps. bunch of stuff there. But to answer your question in all seriousness, no. Like okay, I think yeah. I think the net I think the net is about. Is about having the best offer and playing the game right, hitting on all the little small things like being the team who gets the extra pick here and there, being the team who doesn't mess up their first round pick. Like this, this is a different conversation if Jared Culver was a good first round pick. I'm not. I mean, I'm not. This is not bag on Jared Culver yeah, again. He played thing, really like, well. You're
2: one.
1: Yeah. Like I mean, who's a, you know, if, if Jared Culver's Tyler Hero, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe Tyler Hero doesn't develop like he did if he's not in Miami. Whatever, whatever. But like, if you just have if you have that, like, and we could put Tyler Hero, like, we're, we're, we put Jared Culver like down the list of stuff, and that's why it's just important. Like, that's why this draft is is important. Is to if you're going to use the picks, they can't be picks that end up being losing value over time they've got to be the right pick and then that pick needs to be developed properly to either be a tertiary piece around cat and Dilo or to be a main piece of the superstar trade down the line i think i think that's what it's all about and it's to be cliche like one it's one step at a time you know but that's that's like that's so the gerson roses front office thing is it's like big ass goal really really small steps to get
2: the hyper-focus on the one step that you've got in front of you
1: exactly exactly all so. right we have been going for a long time um but this is fun these are these are kind of these are the best non-actual basketball conversations to have i'm sure some people think some fake trades are stupid or this and that i think you and i both always fall on the side of like it's always cost more than you think it always costs more than you think i think it's a lot always of these more trades
2: complex than you think too
1: exactly and that's what actually makes this Timberwolves stuff hard is it's like well what do you think like what do you think they have to give up for them? well it's like it doesn't work on a packet we know that Ben Simmons Philadelphia and Minnesota can't one for one make a trade it's it's gonna you know it, it's gonna be complicated but through that it makes these it makes us be able to have a 100 minute podcast um d- discussing it so so we'll see I don't know it all starts it all starts with the draft on the 18th and then a couple days later like whether the Wolves are involved or not, like, the off-season stuff is going to be chaos. These teams have been unable to make any sort of transaction for many months. And one way or the other, if it's for Ben Simmons or if it's just for other things, the Wolves are going to be active. I bet on that. And um, we'll talk about it when we get there. Thanks for doing this, Jack.
2: Absolutely. It was a ton of fun, man. Uh, always good to be with you. Yeah. And we're in. We're in for a. We're in for a good t- two and a half, three week stretch here for sure.
1: Exactly. Uh, he's at Jr. Borman thirteen um, on Twitter. We we brushed over it, um, but it, his article really. I mean, probably as the the main part of the article is breaking down who Ben Simmons is as a player, who. If you aren't somebody with League Pass, if you aren't somebody who's who's had the chance to watch Ben Simmons, I mean he's just he's just a really fun player. I think it's a big reason why Jack and I are just into this in general, is like I I love Ben Simmons as a basketball player on the Timberwolves or or, or elsewhere. So so check out what uh what, what Jack has there at kanashopus.com. Um, as for me, we're gonna we got more stuff to talk about, so we're gonna keep uh, shooting out. Probably two pods, pods a week here, um, up and through the draft. Will and I will be doing a big board podcast, uh, our final big board podcast next week. Until then, I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Peace out.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.